Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. I am Chris Graham, and uh, I have the pleasure of being able to be the cohort of Jerry Ratcliffe on these podcasts. And Jerry, um, Jerry has a, a friend from from a few years ago joining us here this week on the podcast. That's right, Chris. Uh, before I introduce him, I want to thank our sponsors for our podcast that we do a few times a week: uh, Greenberries Coffee. UVA Orthopedics and the Aberdeen Barn, which I'm, I'm sure our uh, guest has probably dined there a few times over his career at Virginia and, and maybe even when he comes back to town. But uh, we want to thank those people and if uh, encourage you to uh, give them a visit and tell them how much you enjoy our podcast and website. Uh, without further ado, let's bring on our guest, uh, somebody that I covered back in the early 2000s and uh, have always had the utmost respect for a great guy. Uh, one of my favorite people that I've covered in my career uh, and uh, went on to have a great NFL career, but we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, uh, when he left Virginia uh, back in uh, 03, 04, um, he left with 22 school records in his hip pocket. And I think a couple of them probably still exist, even though uh, Virginia's become really pass happy over the past uh, several years. But uh, let's bring him on. Uh, great guy, great UVA and NFL player, Matt Schaub down in Atlanta. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, all those those records you mentioned, those things are made to be broken, and they're they're tumbling really quick, especially with how much they're throwing the ball these days. But uh, you know, it was a good good time there in Charlottesville. Yeah, and you uh, you supplied Virginia fans with a lot of good times and happy memories too. Um, uh, we were talking to Chris Slade the other day, as you know, who uh, formerly lived and coached in Atlanta and is back on Tony Elliott's staff. We were talking to him about who had the greatest influence on his career while he was not only here, but, uh, uh, but you know, in the NFL. Not so much here, but uh, in the NFL. And, and he talked about Al Groh, uh, who was your head coach. Uh, who, who had the greatest influence on your career in, in those terms, Matt? I know he was your head coach. He wasn't your – quarterbacks coach but uh and he was more of a defensive guy but he was still uh incredibly impressive with his football knowledge and leadership oh 100 i mean you know i spent a lot of times just going up into his office and, and talking with coach grow and just having conversations whether it be on a monday after a game or you know friday right before the game the day before a game just to talk football just to talk philosophy just to talk uh, and you're in college and you have a coach that have come from the NFL, a place you aspire to be uh, when you're finished your college advice and knowledge from that person. And now we also had coaches on the offensive side of the ball that had come from the NFL uh, coaching ranks and playing ranks, you know, Bill Musgrave, who was our offensive coordinator for my sophomore and junior seasons, like the, he was a wealth of knowledge and played quarterback. So just the stuff that he was able to uh, provide me and that knowledge, you know, I hung on you know, almost every word that those guys said. But, you know, when you're a young player, 
you know, between a, a high school football coach, you know, mine was Joe Carroll at Westchester East High School outside of Philadelphia, and then Al Groh in my college career. You know, those were the two most influential people, you know, in my uh, development as a football player and as a quarterback that, you know, those are the, the ones that, you know, when you're young, that's when you, 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 your mind's a sponge and you want to learn everything you can. And then, you know, that learning never stops. Obviously when you get to the NFL, there's so much more to unpack, but you know, you're, you're very impressionable as a young student athlete. And so, you know, Al Groh is certainly one of the ones at the top of my list of people that influenced me in my journey. Uh, you had a, a fascinating career here, particularly your, your past your last two years, uh, when you uh, uh, you and Philip Rivers were battling for the passing lead in the uh, ACC every week, it seemed like, and uh, you guys alternated as players of the year. Uh, wow, I mean, you finished as one of the most accurate passers in ACC history, sixty-seven percent for your career. That's that's just a mind-boggling number if you look back at, at how much you threw the ball and and uh, even in a balanced offense where you had good running backs. Yeah, we were fortunate. You know, A, we had a great offensive line. We had a really good running game. But, you know, a lot of our passing game with the, the skill players that we had at wide receiver and, of course, Heath Miller at tight end and our running backs, Wally Lundy, Alvin Pierman, they were all very good pass catchers. And so we utilized – you know, everyone on the field and our, our pass game, probably 30 to 50% of it was just an extension of the run game. Right. So it was, you know, we played a lot of good defenses that, you know, we might not be able to run the ball as effectively as we would have liked. So we had to throw the ball, you know, and with swing passes and short to intermediate throws and our passing game was really, you know, from the line of scrimmage to 15 yards downfield, we didn't, we weren't necessarily stretching the field, and throwing it, you know, putting it in harm's way down the field. We wanted to be efficient, and, you know, you have second and five, second and three, and then, you know, third and short if we have a third down. And that was kind of our philosophy and how we wanted to play. So for a guy like me who prided himself on his decision-making and timing and putting the ball in the right spot and being accurate, and then those guys giving them a chance to with the ball in their hand to make plays, you know, it kind of was the best of all worlds and putting everyone in a position to be successful. And I think that's one thing that our offensive staff and Coach Grow did a great job of is playing to the strengths of the talent that's in the huddle. And I think that is one of the most vital things in, in all of coaching is play, you know, you can draw lines on paper a lot of different ways, but to try to force guys to do things that they can't do or they're not as good at, you know, is doing a disservice to the talent that you have. So, you know, our coaches did a great job of playing to the strengths of everyone that was in the huddle. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's Big Time Steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. You guys had, you know, some pretty good teams during that stretch. Uh, 
and uh you know back-to-back bowl wins obviously down in charlotte um your uh your junior year you were acc uh offense player of the year and overall player of the year uh what did that mean to you well you know it, it was a tremendous honor um I think that also is a credit to those that I had around me. And, you know, my junior year didn't start off how we wanted it to. You know, we had a a big one of those kickoff classic games at home against Colorado State. And, you know, that didn't turn out how any of us had planned or hoped. But it's a good football team that came in. And, you know, I turned the football over a couple times. And, you know, it didn't happen. The start to our season was really, really not good when we lost that game. Then we went down to Florida State and uh, we, we lost that one as well. So we started 0-2 and, you know, that was not how we had it planned. And, you know, we rallied and, and we had a really good season from that point on. Um, but statistically, I mean, it, it, that's all that that award really is. And we were efficient and throwing the football for almost 3,000 and some whatever touchdowns. But that's a credit to our football team for the – you know, resetting our jaw, so to speak, after those first two games and then, you know, moving on from there and looking to the future rather than what was happened in the past. So, uh, but it, you know, meant a lot just because of the nature of the award, but at the same time, it's a team thing. And, you know, we just, we ended our season really good going down to Charlotte and playing a really good West Virginia team that at that time, I think they were in the top 15 and, you know, we were, I think eight and five or nine and five at that time. So, you know, we were playing a really good football team and we, we, we put it on them pretty good. And then, you know, won like 48 to 20 or something like that. So it was a good day down in Charlotte forced end that season, but it didn't start off how we wanted to. So, but it, it showed the perseverance of our football team. And personally with how it started out for me, I'd like to say it's, it showed the perseverance of myself as an individual on the team. And, you know, I think that's something that I really take a lot of pride in. Yeah, I mean, you were faced with a little adversity to start out with. And, uh, man, did you really follow up with a great season on top of that? It just was great perseverance and a lot of determination by you, for sure. Um, For the – was was that ball win was – what was was the highlight of your career? Uh, What's your – most fond, fondest mem- memory from playing it. Well, I, I think you, I, I think you asking that you, you probably already know the answer to it, but I mean, it had to have been the last home game at Scott stadium. My, my senior season in 2003, you know, finally getting over the hump and beating Virginia tech. I mean, that was because they were born in our side for a few years. I think it was 98 was the last year that, that Virginia had beaten them. And, so playing them at home, and for a lot of us, it was our last time playing at Scott Stadium. I mean, that was something that, you know, we had circled that game on our calendar when the schedule came out in the spring, and a lot led up to that. And But to, to, to win that in the fashion that we did, with the, the performance by a lot of the players on our team in that game, um, beating them with a fake field goal to seal the game, and then Armando Curry with the interception to really close it out. I mean, that was just um, – you know, a great way to cap off a career, you know, for at Virginia. Yeah, it was hard to believe that was Virginia's last win in that series up until uh, not too long ago, unfortunately. 
Um, you know what? I, I after watching it all these years, and for the longest time, I feel like that was the Aflac trivia question when Virginia, <laughs> Virginia Tech met all these years. And I was just once they finally broke through and won, a, you know, a couple years ago. I was just glad that we could end the being the Aflac trivia question from 2003. It was time to stop that nonsense. <laughs> yeah, you got tired of hearing uh, that duck quack and uh, talking about that stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> Chris, what was it like, Matt, uh, when you the last couple of years under Coach Welsh, first couple of years under Coach Grow, the program was was struggling a bit. And it felt like your last two years, particularly things were on the upswing. And, and the next year, even the the program was was, uh, you know, ranked pretty high for a lot of that season. What was it like being a part of that? You, you helped you you and that group uh, helped get Virginia football back on the map there for a while. Yeah, my first couple of years, at least for me personally, I had to do a lot of learning, right? I mean, I, I came from an offense in high school. This is pre all these high schools running these spread offenses. I ran a wing tee offense in southeastern Pennsylvania. So for me, going to the college game, there was a lot to learn about being a, a college quarterback in the offense. But for our team, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of new pieces, a lot of young faces. And then with the changeover from Coach Welsh to Al Grove, obviously there's a transition period and recruiting and you know, some old guys mixed with some freshmen coming in that were, should say, first years that are coming in and playing. And so there was a lot of transition, but we had a lot of good pieces and we had the foundation in the of what we wanted to become. And to be able to turn it around under a new head coach and new staff within one year, you know, that says a lot about, you know, the coaches, but also the players and how they bought in and how they attacked the offseason and spring football and all that. But to be a part of something like that, that makes it that makes the experience even that much more special because it's easy to just go to a program and be mediocre and just kind of ride the wave for four or five years. But when you can actually take a program that goes five and seven, six and six, and then win nine games two years in a row and, you know, kind of set things up for the, the future of the program, you know, that's special. And that's something uh, you know that all, all of us that were part of those teams take a lot of pride in. Uh, it went on to the 2004 draft, uh, which was pretty rich with quarterbacks. Yourself, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, and and Roethlisberger, pretty good class of quarterbacks. Uh, what were you? What were your uh, your mindset? Your uh, expectations being drafted by the Falcons? I think in the third round, um, Michael Vick was there. Uh, you guys were contrasting in styles. Um, what, what what was it like for you going in as a rookie and trying to figure find your way in the NFL? Yeah, like you said, when I got the call from Atlanta, and, and prior to that, Atlanta hadn't really shown much interest as far as at the combine or at individual workouts that they were looking to take a quarterback. Mike Mike Vick was coming off of his leg injury that he had sustained and missed the whole season prior. But there, you know, obviously he was coming back. So no one would thought that they were going to take a quarterback. They had a new head coach in Jim Moore Jr. and Greg Knapp coming over as the offensive coordinator. So when I got the call, I was pretty shocked. I had no idea that they were interested in a quarterback, especially on the first day in the third round. Um, but I, I, I couldn't have been more excited. I knew the town. I knew the city. Um, but I was like, oh, man, Mike Vick, me. I'm like, these are two wildly different. Uh, you know, quarterbacks when you just look at your know, skill sets. But, um, man, it was such a great fit for me because I could go in. And at that time, I mean, it was Mike Vick was one of the, you know, three to five most visible athletes 
on the planet. And to be able to watch him go through his routine on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis, handling the ups and the downs and the media and game plans and all while just me finding my role. And But the good thing about it for me was I got a ton of time in the preseason. So I could learn on the job in these exhibition games on how to operate in an NFL huddle, how to run the system, which for me was very similar to what we did at Virginia. So the transitions, you know, scheme wise and playbook wise was cut down dramatically, but um, yeah, it was such a good fit because I could just watch him and see how he operated and develop my own plan for when I did get my opportunity to be a starter. Do you think NFL teams uh, in recent years have made a mistake in, in taking a, uh, a rookie and, and throwing them into the fire and relying on their, their whole season on, on the guy rather than letting him, like you did, learn and uh, progress at his own pace? Well, I think that's just it, each situation is different. Each team is different. Um, each quarterback, you know, handles things differently. And I think you can either help or you can hurt those guys dramatically depending on who's around them. Uh, what kind of defense do you have? Offensive line, obviously, running game. So many of those factors help the growth of a young quarterback, and so many things when they're not present can hurt the development of a young quarterback. But also internally, what type of quarterback are they? How are they mentally? How do they handle adversity or negative situations? I mean, everyone handles the good great I mean like everything's fine when it's going well but how do you handle it when you get hit in the mouth so um, I think every situation is different you look at a Patrick Mahomes he comes in to Kansas City and he sits behind Alex Smith for a season and you know then he's ready to take over and look what happened would he been ready to do that the first year I don't know maybe I mean they had a good football team at the same time and you look at Ben Roethlisberger who came in um, you know same year as me I mean he came in and and, you know played right away so um, you know everyone's kind of different um, but nowadays the NFL going back 20 years, I mean, it's the game's changed so much. It's, it's so much easier for guys, I believe to come in now and have some success. Now, now I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs with a team that they, and they get drafted in the top five. Cause obviously those teams have a lot of work to do, but with the right coaches and the right scheme, you can coach a quarterback up to be, successful and take care of the football and protect them a little bit and coach them to that point. But I think, uh, you know, every situation is different. You just have to know what you're dealing with and, and coach guys. That's where the coaching really comes into play to be able to protect and help that player along. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years, with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. Uh, you know, after a, a few seasons in Atlanta, you were acquired by the Texans for a few draft choices. Uh, was that was that the break that you needed in, in your career? Uh, I mean, you went on and had a, a tremendous career with with Houston 
Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but it was a match made in heaven because, you know, I sat three years. I had got a lot of time and I only had started two games in my time in Atlanta, but I played in, in spurts for, you know, when Mike with the way Mike played and he got hit a lot, you know, there'd be a series or two here or there, a quarter here or there within games that I would play, but having only two starts, you know, it's kind of unprecedented to be traded for what I was traded for. But, you know, I was going to the Houston Texans, a young franchise with a, a coach and Gary Kubiak, who was just after he had his first year with the team, um, realized they wanted to go in a different direction with that position. But he was a guy that he's a quarterback for the longest time, played in, you know for about a decade in the league, had been an offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos forever. So this is a guy. And when we met and we had we played around a golf to get to know one another to see if it would be a good fit. And I. You know, I could tell by the second hole, I'm like, yeah, I want to play for this guy, you know, because we just saw things the same way through the same lens. You know, I appreciate how demanding he was going to be of the quarterback position because, but I was also okay with that because he had played it. He had been in the pocket. He understood my position. And so I could talk to him about things that, you know, I might not be able to with a coach that not, not played the position. So, um, yeah, it couldn't have been a better match for me. And, you know, we put together a pretty good team and it took a year or two, but we found our way to win a couple of division titles and get to the playoffs. Never really got over the hump, obviously, but, uh, you know, we did some good things and turned the organization and the franchise into a, you know, quote unquote winner in the aspect of winning seasons and, and division titles. Uh, you led the NFL in passing in 2009 and, uh, as a two-time Pro Bowl selection, you were MVP of the Pro Bowl that same season. Uh, pretty nice accolades in your resume there. Yeah, it was. It was, that was, it was a treat to be selected to those games. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that, you know, happens there. Sometimes guys don't play in them and all that. But to be a part and have that type of season in 2009, you know, there was – there's a lot of help that goes in, into that. I mean, when, when you mention a guy like Andre Johnson, to be able to throw to a, a guy like that for seven years um, was such a treat and was special for me because he made me look good uh, uh, quite often, uh, you know, the majority of the time. But uh, we had we had some good offensive teams. And, uh, you know, with him, Arian Foster in the backfield, we had a tremendous offensive line. Owen Daniels at tight end. We had we had all the pieces. We had a possession receiver, a, a slot receiver. We had all those guys that we had in place married with the scheme that we had in place. Now it goes back to, again, Gary Kubiak putting us in position to be successful and playing to everyone's strengths. But, you know, to be a part of that football team and then, you know, we along the way we developed a top 10 defense. And, you know, I always look back to the 2011 season you know, that was probably the best team we had. And we were sitting at eight and three. And I had a, I, you know, not to get into the nitty gritty of it, I broke my foot essentially and missed the rest of that season playoffs. But that was really the best team that we had during that time. And it would have been really, you know, I always look back on that and wonder, you know, what if, if, if I hadn't gotten hurt, you know, what our team could have done in January and beyond. Yeah, it does make you wonder for sure. Uh, oh, I meant to ask you: Did you beat Kubiak on the golf course that day? I did. I, you know, <laughs> I, I hate to bring that up without him being here to defend himself, but we kind of just uh, the first nine holes we just kind of played just to, you know, because we we're talking a lot. And then we got to the tenth hole and we we're like, all right, we're gonna 
you know, how about 20 bucks on the back nine? And yeah, I mean, I closed it out, I think before we got to the 17th, but uh, <laughs> I think, I think that was when we kind of sealed the deal, but then I ended up buying lunch. So I think it was a wash. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, Chris. Um, for our listeners out there, uh, we're doing this interview by zoom. I'm, I'm going to hold up something for, for Matt to look at here. This oh, is a, look at that. I was, a, I was a, to say the least, I was a big Houston Texans fan back in the day when, when you were there. You talked about the 2011 team, the 2012 team also, 12-4 and four record. Um, uh, and you, the 2011 team, you said, it was interesting to hear that you thought that team was even had a better shot at the, the, the postseason than the 2012 team. But those two teams both seemed like they had good shots to, to maybe get to the Super Bowl. What, what were your thoughts about, I mean, how close you guys might have gotten those two years? Yeah, I mean, uh, both teams are really good. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just think the way we were playing at the time, I mean, the 2011 season, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but we didn't start off particularly well. I think we were two and three at, uh, at you know, after the first quarter, we might have been two and two and then lost the, the, the fifth game. So two and three. And then we ended up getting to eight and three. I mean, we were on a roll and we were beating people by, you know, three, three, you know, 20 to 24 points for about a month straight. And so we were playing really solid football and a lot of the pieces were young, especially on the defensive side. And, you know, there was a lot of unknown, not many teams because the year before we were six and 10 and we lost some games that, you know, heartbreakers that year, but, you know, there was something to be said when you're somewhat of an unknown commodity and teams don't really know a JJ Watt, who's a rookie at that time. They don't know, some of these pieces that are just coming up and ascending. And when you, you have those things, you can sneak up on a lot of people, especially late in the season. And, you know, I just looked at how we were playing at that point in time. And then you go to the 2012 team and we got to 11 and one. And yes, we were rolling for three months. And then December, we really stubbed our foot and we really, we were finished one and three in the last quarter of the regular season. So we essentially limped into the playoffs and yes, we won at home against Cincinnati in the wild card round. And then we went up to new England we had played in December and, you know, we got beat pretty good in December. And then in the playoff game, you know, we, we were down to, you know, multiple scores in the second half we fought back, but you know, they ultimately won the year before that we lost in the divisional round to uh, Baltimore and we had, we had beat them pretty good earlier in that season. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs there, but when you have to go on the road in the playoffs, especially in the second round, rather than get a home game, which we were poised, especially in that 2012 season, had we finished better in December, we might have gotten a home game that divisional round rather than having to go on the road, which would have been a lot better for us. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA, excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Uh, 17 years in the NFL. I mean, that's not many guys last that long and uh, are as productive as, as you were. Do you miss it? You know, I, this <laughs> year, this, this past year, yeah, I do. I mean – I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Now, that that said, this past fall was great because I had my, my weekends with my kids and coached my son in baseball and was able to be more present at a lot of their things that happen on Saturdays. Um, you know, the thing that I don't have regret on is is it was my time, and I made that decision myself. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to go to another for another year or two or go to another team 
you know, my contract had expired. I was with Atlanta, back with Atlanta, my last five years of my career. And they were going through a transition as an organization with a new staff and new everything. So I knew what direction the team was going to have to go in, you know, with Matt Ryan being, you know, an, an older quarterback in the league, you know, starting to find that next guy. Right. So I knew that the chances of Atlanta wanting me back were slim and I had already done enough traveling with my kids and we were in a really good spot life-wise. And I was comfortable with my decision to say, you know what, the game's given enough to me and, you know, I've gotten everything out of the game that I've wanted except for maybe a ring. Uh, so, you know, it's my time to go find something else and, and be more present and visible at home, especially on the weekends in the fall. So I've, I don't regret any of that decision, but, I could be lying to you if I didn't sit and watch any of the games, whether it be on Saturday or Sunday and then miss the games. Right. And then miss the locker room, miss like, cause I always knew, you know what the, the week's like in the Friday, the quick practices on Friday, the travel, the hotels, the locker room, some of that camaraderie stuff you always hear guys talk about, you know, yeah, I missed all that stuff, but, and then especially the games. I mean, I'm, I watch them in, that excitement, you know, the heart rate gets going and, you know, the kids are wondering why I'm like that on the couch. And, they, you know, they, they won't ever understand that. But, you know, it was cool to sit there and watch the games with them. Uh, for Wahoo fans that, that don't know, uh, Matt lives in Atlanta and uh, his beautiful wife, Laurie. And you've got uh, five kids, four kids? Five kids. Five, five kids. kids. Four girls and one boy. Yeah, I thought it was four girls and one boy. That's awesome. And uh, we congratulated you a minute ago off the air about your grandma just turned 100. Uh, I know that had to be a great celebration. It sure was. And, it, you know, it was neat because, you know, up until now, she had she had met my four oldest kids when my son was about he was less than a year old. Um, but she hadn't seen or met in person our three year old daughter. And so to take everyone up there and all my cousins and all, you know, she's got nine grandkids and 18 great grandkids. And we were all there um, for the hundredth the birthday celebration. She's still sharp as a tack. So it was really neat to just get the whole family together. Now we were up in Pittsburgh. This was about three, four weeks ago and it snowed for two days. Oh. So to see snow at the end of March being from Atlanta, cause we get a cup maybe once a year. And whenever there's a flurry, everything shuts down here. And, you know, for the kids, like, it, it was just really cool to see their faces when they open the window, the curtains to see outside. And I'm like, yeah, this is, does it, they're like, does it always do this up, up North, you know, in March? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, growing up in Philly, yeah, you'll get snow this late. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even later. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, life after football, uh, what, what are you doing now? What? Uh, have you thought about getting back into the game and in some phase, uh, coaching, administration, uh, whatever? Are you looking in another direction? I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm keeping my options open, but I want to stay connected to the game, and I have over the last year. But um, you know, whether it be a you know broadcasting, coaching. Um, or front office or personnel type situation, you know, I want to stay connected to the game because it's, it's been my life. It's the foundation of my, my knowledge, um, you know, post-college. And so outside of being a husband and a father, so, um, you know, I want to stay connected to the game, but I'm keeping my options open. Coaching, there's been opportunities, but I wasn't ready to jump into that pool right away. I wanted to enjoy a fall before making that decision because there's so much volatility and, you know, I wasn't ready to, 
tell my wife that, you know, we're, we're moving here or there. And then, you know, I can't promise you we'll be there for more than two years. And there, there's just so much there to unpack that I wasn't ready to jump into that. Chris? Uh, so looking, looking at the uh, college game now, I don't know we were going to talk about this. Your thoughts on, I mean, you talked about the, the, how the, the game seems to prepare quarterbacks and maybe other players as well more for the, the next level than maybe it did back in your era a few years ago. Um, what about some of the thoughts on some of the things that have changed since your era in terms of transfer portal, NIL, and how they impact the game? I mean, I know that you're, you're – I think you're involved with – are you involved with the Cavalier Futures venture that, that maybe is trying to have an impact positively for University of Virginia athletes? What are some of your thoughts on these things? Yeah. So, I mean, the NIL space is really new to me and I, you know, being that I'm so far removed from college football, I haven't up until about two months ago, I hadn't really dove real deep into what's there. And to be honest with you, there's not much cause it's just the wild West. It's just, you know, do what you want to do. And, and it's so uh, to me, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's hurting college. It's going to hurt college football over the long run. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but because I, I think you're just you're setting it up to be like NFL free agency a little bit, especially when you couple it with the transfer portal. Because guys can transfer and play right away, and then you have all this money out there. <coughs> Excuse me again. Um, so I think I, I just don't see it being sustained without some sort of regulations out there, some sort of oversight to where it can be monitored by some governing body, whether it's the NCAA or the conferences somehow, some way there's got to be some guardrails to what's allowed and or else you're going to see, <clears throat> you're going to see still the same disparity of the talent and, you know, some of these schools just getting players because they have the biggest NIL package. And so I think it, it could go really South real quick. Um, but I was asked to be, yes. And to answer your question, I am part of the Cavalier Futures Advisory Board. Um, and so this is where I really had to dive in to find out what's actually there and what's going on in, in college athletics. But, you know, this is a way I feel that we can really empower and benefit the student athletes at the University of Virginia to realize their value and bring that to the forefront, to their, you know, presence and do it the right way and have some sort of, you know, way for, the student athletes to not just make some money to put in their pocket, but give them the skills for when they get out of the university and get into the real world and can make them some connections out there in whatever, you know, environment they want to work in or find themselves in. Can you imagine having uh, come into Virginia, like some of these quarterbacks today, not many of them, but a couple selected ones uh, with a million dollar deal. <laughs> In college, <laughs> no, it, it's 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 very bizarre to me to see that that's what, how quickly that it got there. Now, it's obvious that some of these schools, there's that much money involved in the programs out there to support and keep and recruit some of the players there. But I, I it's just so hard to fathom that this doesn't. There's not some level of corruption or going to be some sort of, uh, you know, things happen that are unethical or something like that. Cause it's just, there's not, it all just came out of nowhere and there's really no oversight to the whole process. And going back to the transfer portal portal that's been in place now for a few years, you know, again, that's, 
I think you're, you're start, you start kids out at such a young age to not honor a commitment and to not honor signing on the dotted line. And I get it if a coach leaves, right? If you're the coach you signed up to go play for retires or gets a job and you want to transfer, that, that's one thing. But just to say, you know, I'm not, I didn't win the job or I'm not the starter. I'm going to go transfer over here. I just think that's teaching some of these young people, you know, the wrong way to go about, you know, ultimately being an adult and handling and, and backing up their decisions and, and handling adversity. Okay. You, or adversity is, you know, Hey, you didn't win the job, work harder, you know, you know, prepare. I mean, that's, I just think that, and not every instance is like that, but I think you're just allowing for the, Hey, I'm not, I'm not getting out of this place. What I want, I'm going to go over here and then I'm going to go over the, to this university. I think that's just setting some of these kids up for, you know, behind the eight ball to start. Looking back at your career, you, you, it took you a couple of years to get solidified uh, as, as a starting quarterback of Virginia. So did you have any thoughts at that time? Were you thinking, Hey, maybe I'll go, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. You know, I never did. I never had that thought. I, you know, just trusted the process and my, my ability. And like you said, my, I redshirted. Then I, you know, there was this older guy in place, my redshirt freshman year. And then it was me and another guy that battled it out our, our redshirt sophomore years. And then he ended up transferring. And, you know, like I started to say, or I said earlier, my fourth year started out shaky and I got benched in that first game. And then the other guy started the second game and I came off the bench in the second half of our second game and never looked back. But, you know, I think, you know, that I never had that thought to, you know, transfer anything like that. Um, I just, you know, was going to work harder and, and be prepared for that next opportunity and not look back. To me, that's one of the greatest examples that I've witnessed in my career is you overcoming adversity, uh, bearing down, getting better. And like you said, you got benched, and then you came back and was that or was ACC Player of the Year? So that it just uh, speaks volumes about uh, what someone can do if they if they determine to. Thank do. you. Um, what do you think of the new regime? Uh, Tony Elliott's been here for a few months. First spring practice uh, going on. Spring games coming up Saturday. Uh, yeah, I I I really I. All that I know and I've read about Tony and I've heard, um, I don't know him personally. I know he played at Clemson when I was at Virginia. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love the move. I love the hire. I think he's going to be great for the program. I thought Bronco Mendenhall did a great job in his tenure, you know, turning the program around um, after a few years. Like he, he really – and he set the, the stage for Tony to come in and take it to the next level. So I'm, I'm excited for, for his uh, start of, you know, his first season. Um, this fall, but I think, you know, just his pedigree and where he's come from and the, the, the coaches and the players he's been around, I think he can have nothing but success, um, you know, coaching in Virginia. Quick thoughts. I know you got to run. Uh, Brendan Armstrong made the right decision to stay. I, I think you had maybe gave him uh, uh, some advice in that area. Yeah, I talked to Brennan a couple of times and, you know, he was you know trying to you know figure out what his future was going to lie. And I listen, I never told him what he should do. I gave him advice on what I what I've seen out there and, and you know, giving him some advice of, hey, here's what you can look at. Here's what you can. Here's some thoughts, whether it's 
hey, who's coming out in the draft this year? Who's coming out in the draft next year? What there's services that can project where you might be drafted and you can go and utilize those services to see if that's something you want to entertain and, and make that decision and or, you know, come back. And what a lot of NFL staffs and coaches want to see is can you do it again and, you know, not be just a one year, you know, one year wonder, so to speak. And um, also look at who's best stable of receiver. You've got a good group to throw the football to. So if you have that in place and a good offensive line in front of you, go and do it again. And, you know, that'll solidify who you are as a, as a football player even more so. And um, also you don't get these years back. And, and enjoy college. Enjoy the, the guys you're around. And, you know, because it's different. You know, as you don't want to think it is, but once you get to the NFL, the locker room, the dynamics, it's all, it's very different. So enjoy these years and enjoy this time that you have to play college football and, you know, the, the NFL and the game, it'll be waiting for you uh, next spring. Matt Schaub, thank you so much for your time today. I know you got to run uh, UVA legend. Uh, we all uh, appreciate you and, and thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on guys. I appreciate it.